Today, we're talking to Dennis from Hydric and Struggles, all about what it takes to go from a good CTO to a great one. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Dennis, what's up, buddy? How you doing? It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. This is it. We hang out. We talk. Sounds great to me. So I found out about you guys about seven years ago. Uh, I was working on a project. It was like a private project, government related, and somebody wanted like a really popular technology leader to come in. And so like, I won't mention names of the companies or people or anything, but basically it was an incredibly high profile individual. And I was like, this is so cool. And they told me, they're like, yeah, this company is like the best recruiting company on the planet. Like when you need a big hitter, you go to them. And I'm not saying that to like fluff you guys up. This is actually what happened. And so I had always like in my head, like put you guys like the premium brand. Right. And then when my team was like, Hey, do you want to have a conversation with them? I was like, absolutely. So I'm, I'm real excited. So what do you do there? So I've been here just coming on 13 years and I look after our CIO and CTO practice globally. I've been doing that since I joined the firm and that cuts across all of our different industry segments um, as well. So as you can imagine, we've been pretty busy the last couple of years. So do you manage all the teams that then subsequently manage all the recruiters or how does that work? Yeah, so there's a, a number of us in the practice globally that focus exclusively on CTO work, CIO and CTO work. Um, so yeah, we're all part of one practice. We get together regularly. We share ideas. We all sort of have our own clients, right? But we partner, you know, very effectively as well because we all kind of focus on different industry sectors, right, and become very sort of specialized in uh, usually, you know, a certain industry. Okay. So is it a little bit like, like a Deloitte type model where there's a bunch of independent people kind of working together? It's exactly that. Yeah. And, you know, when I say CIO and CTO, I mean, that's the crux of what we do, but we also do a lot of CISO work, a lot of cybersecurity work, a lot of chief data officers, data and analytics, digital transformation, so chief digital officers. I think, you know, it's always C-level. So it's usually kind of the top job and maybe one level down, right? Like a head of engineering, head of infrastructure, head of architecture, you name it. But that's basically what we're all doing uh, on a day-to-day basis in the, in the practice. Well, that's pretty cool. So what do you see as trends happening right now with the CTO-CIO space? My gosh, it's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we had, you know, a record year last year um, and this year is is trending in the same direction. Uh, I think we're all wondering what's going to happen in 2023 right now. There's been a little bit of a shift in the market, um, you know, but I would say, you know, that's been the biggest trend, right? It's just there's just been so much demand for particularly CTOs, actually, those that have, you know, the deep engineering product skill sets and experiences. It used to be that that was, you know, it was essentially product or software companies that needed a really good software engineer or a good CTO. Um, now we're seeing it across all industries, right? Financial services, we have banking clients, healthcare clients, you name it, right? And they're all looking for that that CTO profile, right? Whether they're building like client-facing applications or platforms or APIs, you know, it's been sort of an evolution, right? It used to be, you know, a CIO or that IT function was very critical. And now we're seeing that again, all industries 
really have a need for that CTO profile, right? Because technology is just driving so much of what we're seeing out there in terms of business transformation. So I'm curious, I've got like a lot of questions related to this stuff. Yeah, far uh, away. If we were to do an 80-20, would you say that 80% of the people, uh, the CTOs, CIOs, they're staying within their vertical, and I'm using that like industry, like they're staying within healthcare, and, and the 20% are ones that hop across industries, or is it not that at all? Great question. You know, I could take a stab at sort of a breakdown. I would say it's a little bit closer to... 70, 30, maybe even 65, 35 of those that kind of stay in their lane, right, in in their industry. And then those that, you know, what we call cross-pollinate, right, and work across industries. I mean, I think where we see that the most is a lot of our financial services clients that are really becoming more, much more technology enabled and much more focused on technology. They want to hire people from Silicon Valley and the tech companies, right? So we see a lot of folks coming from tech into financial services, into healthcare. And then we see the reverse too, right? I mean, financial services in particular has a lot of really strong engineering talent that are now getting recruited to the Facebooks, the Googles, the Amazons as well. So I I would say we're seeing a lot more of that than we ever did in the past. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some industries hook up like that, like a like a marketing data industry, maybe interested in like a specific part of the industrial world because they both deal with like high volumes of certain types of data and they'll find these weird connections between them. They're like, yeah, we recruit from over there. So that's that's pretty interesting. You're a recruiter. You know, the company's a recruiter. So I think you are the most valid source of information to figure out why people stay at their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Why do people stay at their jobs versus uh, taking a, a higher pay and, and, a, and a better position in the ranks and, and higher pay? Why would people stay at their job? Number of different reasons, right? On the most cynical side, it's the risk averse. They're comfortable where they are, right? They don't want to have to start over building relationships, um, things like that. But I think the main reason is really a company's culture. And what I mean by that is, have they had the opportunity to work in a couple of different areas, right, to really round out their skill set? Every couple of years, are they changing jobs within the company, you know, moving to a different business line? I think we see a lot of CVs like that. And if we see someone that's been somewhere, you know, 15, 20 plus years, we actually do want to see that every couple of years, you know, they've been promoted, they've moved around a little bit, they've really kind of challenged themselves. But I would say, you know, again, that kind of a culture where there's a clear career path and trajectory, and it's, and you'd be surprised, right? Like compensation, a lot of the times is lower down on the list, right? A lot of times those folks that stay at one company for so long, if anything, their their compensation has been a little bit more depressed and they could make more to your point if they've gone elsewhere. But I would say, again, the culture of the firm, career path, flexibility is another thing that we're seeing a lot more of these days, right? Since the pandemic, the ability to work from home. A lot of engineers, you know, they don't want to have to come into an office five days a week. You know, they want that flexibility to live where they want and work where they, you know, work, work where they want to. So I think those are, those are some of the big, big reasons. Yeah, there's that, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs, right? You get to a certain point and then it just becomes about like, okay, well, with the difference between $300,000 a year and $500,000 a year, would that change my life? I really like working with these people, things like that. Is yeah. that, is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, the grass is always greener, right? 
And by the way, we wouldn't be in business if a lot of people weren't picking up those, you know, those phone calls, right? And and open to exploring other opportunities. But I think, yeah, I mean, those are the main reasons that that people, you know, there's some longevity with with some folks. Now, do you recruit across the spectrum, like from entry level engineers all the way to CTOs, or does the brand just focus on the higher level C-suite? Our sweet spot is really that C-level. CTO and like I said, one level down. Occasionally, you know, if it's a really large company, right, we can go a couple of levels down. But really, our sweet spot again is that kind of C level and, and minus one. And so that's like your group. They have those types of relationships. How are they? I mean, I, I kind of understand it, right? Because it seems like there's a bunch of the independent people together, so they probably have like longer term, like personal relationships with these candidates versus like spray and pray on LinkedIn. Yeah. How do they build these relationships? Do they, have they been in this for like 10 years and they're like, they've been in recruiting and they know these people and they've seen, seen around, like, is that what makes you guys unique? I like that. What was that spray and spray and pray? Yeah. Spray and pray. I hadn't heard that one. That's a really good one. Yeah. I think it's a combination of everything you've said, right? It's about having, it's really about being a trusted advisor, right? Not only to our clients, but to the candidates. Uh, you know, I've, I've been doing this for, for 13 years, as I mentioned, right? So there's some candidates that I've been in touch with for over a decade, right? Where we've become not only just professional acquaintances, but actually personal friends, right? And they've, they've kind of grown to trust us, you know, as that intermediary, right? Between, between the client. So it's a lot about that. It's the Hydric brand, you know, as a firm, you mentioned it, you know, at the outset, right? We've been around for a long time since the fifties and over the years, we've just, you know, we've just built such a strong reputation as reputable, trusted advisors to our clients and to our candidates, right? And keeping in touch. And, you know, even if we're not working on a particular search, just taking the time out to speak to CTOs and advise them, right, on career decisions and, and, and just taking that time, I think over the years, that really kind of builds up a lot of, a lot of goodwill. One of the things I was curious to know from you, I had one friend who was in Boston and he had tried to recruit me for a job at MailChimp like seven or eight years ago, like before the podcast, right? And I was like, no. And then, he, you know, he kind of followed me over the years and then he saw the podcast. And then I started having some people tell me like early on in the podcast in the first couple of years, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm making this move. They would tell me off the show and started to develop these relationships and going to this conference. And basically I had lead gen, right? For like high level mm. technology people making moves. And so I called him up and he's like, well, that's not really how it works. Like I kind of have like two clients that I really recruit for and, you know, we're trying to expand and things like that. So I, I sort of found out that, you know, they'll hook up with a couple relationships like independence or a group of three or five of them or sort of like hook up with a few relationships and then recruit almost exclusively for them. So there wasn't like a network to refer to or anything like that. Some people ask me because I talk to so many people. They're like, hey, you know, do you know anybody here? I'm looking to make a move. And so I don't have currently a good connection if one of the, your crew within your team. Oh, yeah. I should have at least somebody to connect them into that has a, has a national or global reach. Absolutely happy to do that. We can exchange information after, but yeah, it'd be great to keep in touch. I mean, we do that all the time. It's funny. We've, there are a lot of CTOs out there that are just expert networkers, right? And they have mm -hmm. incredible networks themselves from going from, you know, to Amazon reInvent and all the, you know, the major conferences, right? And, you know, sometimes I joke with them that they should be, you know, they should come over and join us, right? Because they have <laughs> such, such large networks. But yeah, absolutely happy to, to kind of build the, build the relationship. 
Yes, I always tell everybody, look, whether you think it's stupid or not, start building some. A personal brand is literally, some people are turned off by it, but it's it's quite literally just a way for people to engage with you when they're not directly speaking to you. Totally agree. It's just content that you're making and putting out there. So Totally agree. And it's not always innate, right? I mean, you know this better than I do, right? That That type of personal branding is not innate in a lot of engineers, right? Yeah. They kind of want to code. They want to build stuff. They don't want to deal with all the other, you know, kind of noise and, and, and things that it takes, right, to, to build, you know, a, a great career, right? So I think that's great that you, uh, that you advise folks on that. I actively resisted it, like moving, making the change. And then what I found was I was forced to out of the circumstance of, the, of a business growing. And then I found that for me personally, I ha- the one thing I enjoy more than software engineering is helping and being a part of the journey of growing an individual in software engineering. So then I found, okay, if I have a team, A, I, get, can, I can have things that I want to exist in the world way faster because I've always right. been working on them. And B, I get to participate in the lives of these other people. And for me, that was just like 1% greater than the, than the feeling I got from engineering at least. And so I, I made that switch. That's and, great. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's what actually separates a great CTO from a, from a good CTO, right? Wanting to actually lead a team, build a team and do everything it takes, you know, outside of just the pure, you know, kind of engineering, right? And, and technical work. So, and that's what our clients want as well, right? Like it's not that hard to find the technical capabilities. Those are oftentimes, you know, the table stakes, right? It's like all the other softer leadership skills, right? Can you attract talent? Can you retain talent? Those are what our clients are asking for more than have they built anything cloud native and what, you know, what sort of languages do they know, right? That never comes up, especially at the C-level, right? It's all around kind of leadership, strategic vision and, and those types of things that, again, aren't always innate in engineers. No, but when they have it, they have it. I Oh, yeah. So I'm 34 for just context. So you better understand. So 10 years what, older than you. <laughs> but just as handsome, right? So <laughs> I'd like to think so. Yeah. When when I was uh, earlier in my career, I would look at these other technology leaders and I was like, you know, I'm a better engineer than they are. Like, why are they up there? You know, why can't I be in that role if I have those skills? And I realized really, really, really quickly, first of all, like a bunch of 30-year-olds are not gonna follow an 18-year-old, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, on top of that, I guess what it is is it's like it's difficult for the age gap, but you also don't have the experience and the relationships, like the experience of just interacting with other C-suite people, right? Yep. The experiences of helping, you know, understanding PNLs and the experiences of having a reputation, so that when you do make a move, like when I got that government project I mentioned earlier, one of the benefits because I got that in my early twenties was, you know, the several years of building teams I had. So when I got the project. I just picked up the phone and called the people who I knew would execute on it right the first time and there would be no issues. So I was really comfortable putting my name on it, you know? So that is like a huge premium, especially when people are making switches in their job or when they're switching out of position. I mean, are people often switching positions or are companies switching in and out positions when everything's going perfectly? No, right? I mean, if things are, are humming along nicely, right? There's not a need to, to shake things up. Right. I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, when we talk to a new client who's thinking about replacing their their CTO, right, it's about all the things we're talking about. Right. They're not they don't have the buy in. 
across the leadership team, right? They're not able to influence, they're not able to communicate, right, at the board level and articulate the vision for for technology. So again, it's it's always comes back to those softer skills that is usually why someone gets replaced in in their role, right? And also what a client wants to see in their next, you know, in their next CIO or, or CTO. When people are performing the action of replacement, let's say a CEO or a board, do they find the replacement before they let the current person go? Usually not, but it depends, right, on the circumstances. A lot of our searches are confidential. Mm-hmm. So we actually use non-disclosure agreements for the first you know, couple of weeks, sometimes even bleeding into a couple of months of a search, right? So I would say it varies. We usually advise, you know, making the announcement or, or talking to the incumbent, you know, at least a few weeks into the search, because even when you're using NDAs, there's always risk that, right, that it's going to get out there and they know each other. It's a small you want to put cards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want to put all cards on the, on the table eventually. So we usually advise, you know, trying to make that, make that announcement or communication swiftly as, as you can. Now I'm curious to know like a couple different tips. We talked a little bit about building our network. You're constantly working with teams that are building and expanding their network. What's your best networking tip? I think it's being open to hearing from folks like myself, right? Even if you are having a blast in your current role, not looking to leave, right? Having the conversation, building the relationship, because you never know, right, when the tide's going to turn and you're going to need to use the resources of of a search firm or a recruiter. So it's really just picking your head up, even when things are going very well updating your resume, right? Just keeping everything current, knowing that things can kind of change on a, on a dime. So that, that's what I would say is just being open, have the conversations, refer people, be helpful where you can, right? And not just with recruiters, right? But with colleagues, with junior people in the organization, like take out, take the time, right? And that's how you kind of build that, that credibility and you build that, that network. Yeah. Cause the last you don't want to not have the relationships when you need them because it's typically a pretty scary moment when you just found out that you don't have a position anymore and to try to go build a, a, a genuine relationship, it's just not possible. It's If anything, it's whatever you build during this one is is only going to help you like in the next one. <laughs> we hear that all the time from, from candidates, right? That all of a sudden get laid off or, you know, they're looking for another, that they wish they had, you know, had these conversations sooner. Right. So they're not caught flat footed. And most of the time our clients actually, you know, are interested in more of the passive job seekers, right? Not those people that are pounding the pavement. You know, it's actually those folks who are doing really well where they are, right? But are just open to exploring, you know, potentially a better opportunity and expanding their network as well, right? I tell candidates if they say I'm really happy, I don't want to leave, we'll just have a conversation, right? Worst case scenario. You're adding someone new again to your network. You're building a relationship. Best case scenario, you find out it's your dream next job. Right? I agree. That's, uh, I want to keep making analogies back to dating, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is, it is like dating, right? You know, and it's like, you know, finding that perfect kind of marriage. Yeah. You know, does it get like that? Does it get fun? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're always interested in, in where folks are going, right? We hear the rumors that someone's leaving, Mm. you know, a certain seat. We're always very curious about where, where someone's going. Um, and you know, again, the last couple of years have been such a, a busy market that good CTOs, right? Like they're getting lots of calls 
even on a daily basis, right? So it's, you know, we always advise our clients, like you have to have a value proposition and something differentiating about your organization and the role, right? If you really want to attract a talent because the good, good folks are getting called left and right by premier organizations, right? So you've got to give them something to really think about. What's the most common mistake people make with their resume? I would say not necessarily with the actual document, but what we see on the resume is if there's too much what we call sort of jumpiness. We see that a lot in the CTO world, especially. I mean, some of it makes sense, right? These folks like to build something. And once they've been at a place for three or four years, they want to move on to the next challenge, right? It's become more of a status quo environment. But I would say that's that's one of the first things I look for. Have they shown some longevity and tenure somewhere? Because, you know, if you see someone who's been 18 months there, two years, six months, you got to wonder, like, how much could they actually have accomplished in a year. Over that period yeah. of time, right? So I would say that's the biggest mistake, right? Is just people that are just constantly jumping around, you know, to new opportunities. And I think it's interesting because that's one of the first disqualifiers. I, I'm always looking for, first of all, who's the person that realizes that that, that is a bad thing <laughs> and adjust the resume to tell a different story. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I want the person who's going to hang out for like three to five years. Like I want that, uh, you know, not your whole life, but for me, what I'm looking for is I don't want to pull someone in, train them. They're actually, you know, learning at six months. They're doing something useful, you know, 12 months in, at least at an executive level, you've just you just got started, right? You just got in that budget cycle and you're going to do something now. Absolutely. And there's, you know, oftentimes there's some circumstances, right? So if we do see a resume like that, you know, oftentimes there's a rationale, right? The company was acquired or, yeah. you know, there was a geographic reason to to move, right? So sometimes there are very legitimate reasons, but we just want to make sure we really understand those transitions, right? And everyone gets one kind of yeah. get out of jail free card, right? You see a lot of, you know, around that 2000 timeframe, right? During the, <laughs> the dot-com boom, right? You see a lot of, you know, 12 month stance. That's obviously, you know, understandable given where the market was. Yeah, there's definitely a spectrum of like jumpiness, right? Right. And I know a guy who they raised some venture capital and then they hired him to help expand their product and, you know, grow it. And his task was to hire 200 engineers that year, right? So he went on and started his task, had hired like 150 of them within like the first year or something to that number. And then the founders had overspent their money and they had to make massive cuts across the organization. They laid off like <laughs> a third of their workforce and they're like, sorry, we don't need to expand anymore. So that was like a short term, you know, that's like a short term example. And I say that because there's always like that big but. It's like, yeah, we see the story. We, we want, you said it professionally. We want to understand the transition, right? Right. Because there's the people that don't transition at all. And there's people that have a hundred of those stories. And it's just kind of like, I feel like if I brought you in, you'd just be the hundred and first story. There would just be some other reason why you would leave in a year. (laughs) Right, exactly. You know, if there's a common denominator, right? I mean, like I said, you're right. There could be misaligned expectations, company shifts directions. I mean, there are very legitimate reasons, right? To to have a short stint, but you don't want to see too, too many of them, right? Because then you start to scratch your head a little bit. Right, right. I'm curious to know, okay, so... I go around on LinkedIn, right? We post our clips and everything and I add guests and things like that. So I see the jobs and the sidebars and whatnot. And there's like 
inevitably two or three that sort of like cycle different brands that I see, that I'll see for months at a time. And it'll be something like 900K a year, confidential search, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, are these things real or are they fishing for future stuff? Or can you explain to me what those are and who's doing that? Yeah. I mean, I think they're probably real, right? And we have a lot of clients who might start off posting something on LinkedIn or on their website. Right. And I think they pretty quickly realize, right, once they're flooded with, you know, 200, 300 applicants, right, that as they sift through them, you know, maybe 1% are qualified and, you know, for, for that role. And it's the rest is just folks kind of trying to apply for something, right, and, and seeking em- employment. So at the level that we operate at, at that kind of C level minus one, it's very rare that our clients, you know, will post something on on LinkedIn. So I think it's right, you're right to have kind of a wary eye, but I also think it's it's just not a very effective way to go about your job search, right? Or if you're the client to find the right type of person, right? Because again, you get flooded with a lot of different types of resumes and the strongest CTOs out there aren't, you know, necessarily monitoring LinkedIn for job postings, right? You have to go and search for them and find them. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think you know, you can get lucky and occasionally, you know, a posting like that will work out. But I think, you know, more often than not, it's it's not the best way on either side, right, to, to find a role. What's hot right now in the recruitment space? What are you talking about with your peers? Yeah. You know, when I think about the conversations I'm having most often with clients, first of all, it's what kind of leader do you need, right? That's kind of where the conversation starts, right? Is it a CIO or is it a CTO, right? We We often have that discussion with clients. I don't know how you think about this, Joel. I mean, the way that I've thought about it or the way we think about it is CIO is, again, more of the IT parts of the organization. Someone to run the corporate systems, HR, finance, legal, right? ERP system, someone who runs the help desk, end user, you know, someone who can lead the infrastructure environment, right? And then CTOs, right? More focused on the engineering and the building of products. So that's sort of how we, you know, one's more internally facing, the other's sort of more externally facing. So that's that's oftentimes where our conversations start with clients. And then it's building out the profile, right, for, you know, the ideal CTO. And I think the things that we hear the most are technical capabilities, right, that ability to kind of be hands-on and have credibility with the engineers that are going to be reporting into you, strategic vision, being able to kind of build the vision for a platform, for a product, whatever the case may be, and then being able to deliver on that and articulate the vision, right? To get the buy-in to do what you need to do, right? And then and then I think it's, you know, those softer skills that we talked about. Our clients, you know, they want good leaders. It's never been harder to find good engineering talent, right? So they want a CTO who can who can attract and retain top talent. So, and then the last thing I would say is just diversity. You know, particularly in the technology domain, it's difficult, but our clients, you know, not only do they want, but they need diversity of thought and inclusive workforce. That's, you know, that's something that we're talking about on a very regular basis. That's also something that's critical to Hydric as an organization, making sure that we're providing a diverse slate of of candidates on any search that that we work on. Yeah, diversity of thought is like one of the most important things in the world because for me as an entrepreneur, 
you know, if you have on one extreme a bunch of, you know, let's say Stanford educated business people, and that's like, you know, most of everybody on the executive team. And then you have someone come in who's like an entrepreneurial person who didn't go to college and who scrapped from the ground up. That's going to give you like incredible uh, insight and advantage to, to the team, right? Yeah. To your point of the CIO CTO, mm-hmm. that is the most common question I get asked, and I answer it the same way you do. So, and the lines are blurring, right? Like we have some clients that come to us and say we need a CIO, right? And then when you hear actually about the skill set, it's kind of like a cross, right? They want someone who can run the IT landscape, but also be building, you know, client-facing products, right? So, I think we're seeing those lines blurring like crazy, particularly again in some of the other industries that haven't traditionally had, you know, a CTO. Yeah, I think there's also a lot of benefit to having experience being on a C-suite team because you kind of find out that the titles are for the outside world and you have this inside, you know, circle, this group of people that are running the business and making decisions and each one is aware of the other one's competencies, Yeah. right? And it's sort of like, okay, I'm the most competent technical one here, so when we go outward facing role, I'm going to, you know, wear that type of title. So younger people in their career are sort of obsessed with becoming the title. And then the way you actually get there is becoming obsessed with solving the problems for the business. Exactly. I think that's something we hear all the time, right? There's just a disconnect and attention between the business and the technology organization. And they just need someone who can kind of bridge that gap, right? And that kind of goes back to that strategic vision that I talked about. I mean, a lot of times we hear from clients that our current CIO or CTO, it's, it's more of an order-taking organization, right? But we need someone who can be proactive, bring ideas to us, right? About how we can kind of enhance the business and, and really drive value through, through technology. So, but I will say, I mean, it's still a candidate's market. And what I mean by that is, you know, oftentimes clients come to us with a wish list, right? They want all those things that I described. They want the technical skills, the leadership, all that. And it's it's our job, right, to kind of manage their expectations about what's attainable out there in the market, right? What's that going to cost you? And then also, where can you give on, on, on some of those pieces? Because, again, it's, you know, even though the market, you know, is starting to turn a little bit, right, and everyone's worried about a recession, um, we're still having lots of conversations. I, I don't think I don't think it's going to you know soften all that much as it relates to good CIO and good CTO and good engineering talent, right? And I think what we hear the most from CTOs, right, is they want you know they want to know that they're joining an organization where technology is critical to the business. Doesn't necessarily have to be the core focus of the business, but it has to have a seat at the table, right, and be a real enabler and not just a support function, a back office function, right? They want to know that there's some flexibility in where they live. And those are the things that are differentiating clients from really attracting top talent, right? Is there a trajectory? Like I mentioned earlier, if it's not the top job coming in the door, what is the path to get there? What's the reporting structure? Oftentimes that's an indicator, right? Of how critical technology is to the organization, right? Is it to a CFO? Is it more of a cost center? Is it to a COO or is it directly to a CEO, right? And you're going to be a member of that executive leadership team. So I would say, you know, again, these are the things that we we hear the most. And I would say the last thing that's always very critical to good candidates is that they're going to be building something or transforming something, right? Not just inheriting something that's you know, running field, smoothly, yeah, right? They yeah. want a challenge, right? That's that's not as interesting to, you know, to strong candidates. They want to know that they're going to be able to make an impact and 
and, and, and make their, put their mark on something. There's definitely times for both people too. Like I, I'm definitely the impact person. And when I was less mature, I'd kind of scoff at like the routine person. And I realized that's the only way you can build a big business. Like you yeah. need those people who are just consistent and just execute on the process and Keep deliver. things up and running and deliver. Yep. Quick question. I'll share a small story and then it'll lead to the question. So when we were around episode 100 or something like that, I was emailing. I was like, you know what? I'm going to email like the C- CTO of Verizon, right? Long shot, long shot, but we've been getting good guests and let's give this a go. Within five minutes, Hans called me. I was blown away. I was like, maybe it's because I'm a Verizon customer and he noticed the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. But he's like, hey, so you don't want to you don't want to interview me because in two or three weeks, there's going to be news that like I'm the CEO and then there's this new guy, Kyle, who's going to be the CTO. Mm-hmm. And so you want to set up an interview with Kyle and, and just set it out like a couple months or, or whatnot. And I was like, oh, thank you so much, right? And he introduced me to the comms people and all that good stuff. And then I started to see a little bit of that, like not, not a crazy amount, but I've seen, I've seen it enough where I can say it's something that's happening in the marketplace. These CTOs becoming CEOs. Uh, have you seen that? Absolutely. It's funny. We talk about that as a practice all the time. I mean, 10 years ago, you start very rarely, right? There were very, you know, limited exceptions, right? To someone who was a CIO or a CTO that ended up taking on the CEO role. But I think that's something I actually even should have mentioned earlier. Oftentimes that's a, that's a something that our clients are looking for, right? If it's a role reporting to a CEO, oftentimes the CEO says, I'm looking at this person as a potential successor to my role, right? Those are things we never used to hear. So we're definitely seeing it more and more across all industries too, right? It's not just in the technology industry, but we're, we're seeing that across the board. So I think, you know, there's never been a more exciting time, right? To be a, to be a CTO or CIO out there. I know we talked a little bit about it, but I can't remember. Did, is it currently increasing, staying the same or decreasing this movement of, of the CTOs? Well, I'm sure you heard about the great resignation, right? That everybody talks about. And I think there's some truth to that. In our world, right, 2021, particularly the first half of 2021, there was a lot of movement. So now oftentimes, you know, when we kick off a search, there's someone that we think is perfect for the role, but they've only been in their new role for, you know, six months, right? So there's still tons of activity out there, but a lot of it did really happen in the last like 12 to 18 months where CTOs are just starting, you know, to kind of get their legs underneath them in a new environment. But, you know, that's when we tell clients, look, think more broadly, right? It doesn't have to be a sitting CTO. It could be a number two, you know, that's running engineering, that's ready, you know, for that next, that next step in their career. So that's always something that we advise because the tar- the, you know, the pool is limited, right? That brings all those attributes that we've, we've been talking about. So we always advise to keep an open mind on industry, on sort of level of seniority and, and things like that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, what's the busiest season for recruiting? I'll tell you, it's been it's been every season the last couple of years. Everybody thinks like the summertime slows down. And I would say maybe it does a little bit in August, right? And then oftentimes people think it slows down in November and December as we get near the holidays. But that's also not necessarily true, right? It's actually a great time to start a search because a lot of folks are starting to get their bonuses and start to think about, you know, they reflect over the holidays. They start to think about what might be next. There's that sort of an inflection point. So there's really no rhyme or reason, right? We, we're, we've been busy all four, uh, all four seasons. 
Okay, so it's pretty consistent. It is pretty consistent, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's not like traditionally, if we talked five years ago, it's not traditionally a seasonal business. It's just fairly consistent. And there's some small, like little things sometimes, but most, it's not like a whole three months where you guys are like dropped down. No, okay. unless there's some major market event, mm-hmm. you know, or something, then no, it's been very consistent. If you look at, you know, the numbers over the last couple of years, every month, you know, we're confirming a similar amount of of searches. So again, who knows what next year is going to bring, but I, I I think we're still bullish, right? Just in the work that we do, you know, these folks are still so critical to organizations that I, no one's expecting it to fall off a cliff by any means. Well, I'm, I'm an optimist in general. So like for me, you just have to figure it out. You just figure out with what's in front of you. So if the market's up, you have to figure it out. I, I never thought the market being up would be a problem for my business. And it is because it's harder to recruit talent when the market's up, right? Yep, so there, exactly. there's going to be problems when it's up. There's going to be problems when it's down. There's going to be problems the entire time. So if you right. don't want to deal with them, get out of leadership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think one one of the good things about Hydric too, as I think about this is, you know, even if the search work starts to quiet down, we've got several different aspects to our business. We've got an on-demand talent solution business, right? If a oh, client, really? Yeah. Needs a, you know, a project to get over the line over a three-month period. You know, we have those types of um, executives that, um, that we can put in for, you know, on an interim or temporary basis. Um, we've got a whole uh, consulting business as well. So um, even if our search business slows down, right, we've got these other areas where we're working around executive assessments of leadership teams. We're doing succession planning. We have a culture shaping business. So, you know, I think that's that's a good thing. We're really kind of delivering a holistic service to our our clients. And again, if one area is lagging a little bit, chances are there's another area of our business that's picked up steam, particularly our on-demand talent business that we have. Is that like to compete with like a top till type deal where they you just get engineers like on a quarter or on a monthly basis or something like that? Yeah, and it's across all functions, right? It's not just technology, but yeah, if someone needs a CFO or a head of accounting for a three or four month, you know, project, you know, we have those those capabilities. Or if someone's going through an agile transformation in our world, right, needs a scrum master or something of that ilk, you know, we can we can provide that on a again on a temporary basis. That's pretty new for you guys, no? I haven't heard of it. It is, yep. It's a business that we've we just acquired over the last couple of years. So but it's it's been incredibly busy and it just keeps getting getting busier, right? If if a client's not sure they want to hire a full time resource, right? Just to get something, you know, a project delivered, then that's when they use our on demand services. That's pretty interesting. And then, you know, when you were saying like succession planning, culture shaping, like leadership type stuff, I thought well, that's that's brilliant because you get by people coming to you for recruiting, that's lead gen for these other services. Because I've had people try to recruit me and I was like, I would never work at that company because of the culture, right? right. And that's a lead for someone. To, like if you guys see that, you're like, look, you're not going to recruit great talent. I'm sure you're honest and you you coach your clients, right? If you, You're not going to get great talent if you have this horrible internal culture. Right. And so let's go over to our culture shaping business and let's have them clean some stuff up before we can find you somebody that's great. That's right. Yep. And we, you know, we've been around for a long time. So we've, you know, we use a very data driven methodology across all of our engagements, right? We've got years and years of of data and insights that we've gathered. So uh, that works well across all of our, you know, all of our service lines. I want to sort of wrap up with some tips real quick. Uh, Let's say we've got some small companies like me, we're, you know, 15 people, 
25 people. We're not necessarily at the point where we're going to be recruiting like huge, huge deals. What's just one really good recruiting tip if we're trying to DIY? I would say be flexible on where the person lives and works. We live in a different world now. So that's one, right? Uh, You know, oftentimes we have clients that want someone at the headquarters and have to be there five days a week. That's, that's not really resonating in this new kind of world that we, that we live in. So that would be one. The other one is make sure you're all aligned on expectations and that there's a real value proposition. There's some excitement around what you're trying to to do, right? Because excitement, you know, people will feel that. They'll feel that energy in, during the interview process. So I just gave more than, more than one, but I would say the top one is that flexibility on where someone can do their work. I've hired, uh, I think like two or three people in the past three months or, or something like that. And the one thing that I heard from all of them was that when they're interviewing, most of the companies are like these eight step processes. What's the deal with that? <laughs> That's a, uh, yeah. Look, I, I think you can look at it in two ways. We have lots of clients, right, where, you know, they want candidates to meet 10, 15 executives, right? I think it's good in a lot of ways, right, uh, for, for both sides. You want to make sure it's going to be that right marriage in the right fit culturally and, and otherwise. So it can be a really good thing, right? And this is an important life-changing decision for someone. So sometimes I think it's it's great, you know, meet as many people as you can. Other times in this dynamic market, right, you've got to move fast because these people have several opportunities on the table. So, you know, we're constantly paranoid as search folks. You know, what are you looking at? We always ask that question. What other processes are you engaged in so that we can advise our clients, hey, you need to move fast. Otherwise, we're going to lose this person. Um, So speed sometimes is absolutely critical, but other times, you you know, you want to take your time and you want to make sure you're, you're, you know, you're getting it right. So again, I think both can work. It it really depends on your, you know, on the organization. So what I have found and for context, maybe I've hired and fired a hundred people, right? Like like personally, like not just one of my team members hiring them. Like I was in the interview and I and I hired them. And I can say pretty confidently that no matter how many times I meet with them or how much time I spend with them, there's no way to know until you hire them. And then like you see how they do the first, you know, couple of weeks, what their attitude is getting in and how they think about things. Like no matter how much dating you can do, like until yep. you actually get in there, it, it's just not the same. I've never been good at predicting it. And so I, I, I'm a higher fast type person. So I'm like higher fast, come in, they either crush it or they don't real quick. That works. That works, you know, very well also. Right. I also think that's where, you know, a company like Hydric comes into play, right? Because we're referencing these folks. Mm. We're learning everything we can about them, right? To ensure that it's going to be a successful fit. So again, I think it's both ways can can work, but there's no question you have to move fast in this market. But, you know, you kind of want to do enough diligence as well to, you're right, there's always going to be an element of risk in anyone you hire, right? Of it not working out. But I, I like the fact that you'll just move fast and, and go with your gut, right? <laughs> I'm sure that works out more often than not. It's working in like the $50,000 range. I don't know if it works in the $500,000. Right. Fair enough. I'm not, I haven't done a lot there, but yeah. So I think some of the human principles stick. Uh, what else did we want to get out there to the world? Did we have a call to action for, for the business? Go to the website. What's the website? It's hydric, 
com, right? So you're welcome to go to the website. You can find me on, on the website or on LinkedIn. Happy to kind of build relationships with anyone that, that's out there. And I think, you know, just in general, right, it's it's sort of what I was just, just sharing, right? We've, you know, we're a, a very trusted global advisor to our clients. We work with over 70% of the Fortune 1000. Also work with a lot of startups and high growth companies. So, you know, we're always happy to, you know, take on new clients and to meet new people and, and add them to our, our, our networks. Amazing. Thank you for doing this. I thoroughly impressed. I knew you would be awesome coming from the company and, and seeing your background, but we did it, man. We made a podcast. How we do you did feel? It. Awesome we to did meet it. you, Joel. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.